Hello and welcome to the Majlis podcast, ready for a pre Liberties current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis and ready for a pre Liberties media manager here in Washington, D.C. I hear that it has already started snowing in parts of Central Asia. This means it's going to be a long winter this year, and that is a bad news. Bad news because people will need more energy to survive, and the region is already facing an acute energy crisis. Cities going dark at night. That's also bad news for food security because the number of countries in the region is already short of supplies. It was a dry year in Central Asia, so we are also talking about the possibility of shortage of water this year. Because of the COVID-19, the remittances were dropped throughout the region, and this is a lifeline for lots of people. So we are also talking about lack of resources and means. So shortages, shortages, shortages. Though we speak about similar challenges every year, this year Central Asia seems to be facing multiple challenges at the same time on a whole different level. So how the region is preparing for this? To discuss all these, I'm joined by Janibek Omorov, International Energy Economist, Farouk Yusufi, the Director of Ready Free Pride Liberties Turkmen Service, Bruce Panier, the Editor of Ready Free Pride Liberties Central Asia Blog, Kishlok Awazi. Thank you, colleagues, for joining us today um, in this important conversation. So, um, Janibek, you are from Bishkek, and Kyrgyzstan is one of those places in Central Asia where there is nothing new about the energy crisis. So, let's start with you. Um, so, beyond living at those challenges in person, you have a profound background in researching this matter as part of your profession. So we will get to your scientific research and findings momentarily. But to kick off the conversation, please tell us, Johnny Beck, as the temperature already dropping below zero in some of these places in Central Asia, including your country, what are the early signs in terms of impending challenges on energy supply in Kyrgyzstan? You know, uh, Kyrgyzstan energy sector has already facing systemic problems in the recent years. And of course, the regional and the international this energy crisis adding to these issues. So, I mean, I can say that there are two groups of uh, problems. As I say, it is regional problems, of course, which is impacting the situation. Mm-hmm. And the international issues that Kyrgyzstan is trying to solve utilizing its own resources. Mm. So, uh, uh, Janibek, we are certainly going to talk about the possible reasons behind what is happening in the background. But as we speak, what is the impact of energy crisis there in, in Kyrgyzstan? I mean, how you see this impact as we speak? Yes, I mean, impact is, uh, is going to be really severe uh, mm. because uh, Kyrgyzstan used to, to export quite a bit of uh, electricity mm. in the region. Uh, but now, due to this uh, accumulated uh, problems in the power sector, it is already energy deficiency in the country and experiencing lack, lack of electricity for its own demand. So we already starting some switching of electricity in some uh, parts of the country. Mm. And uh, uh, certainly the heavy dependence on hydrology, mm. so also impacting greatly because of dry air and the low hydrology cycle. The energy production is expected to be much lower compared mm. to the previous years. Very interesting. Okay, so it's a, it's a quite a you know achievement from being an energy exporter and now in need of energy to fulfill local demands in Kyrgyzstan. So certainly we are going to talk about the reasons and about where the country is as we speak. Before that, let's take views about the rest of the region. 
perhaps uh, Farooq, you know, uh, Turkmenistan is a gas-rich country. And I do not anticipate that this country to have any problem with the heating energy of any sort. So how's the situation there? So one would think that uh, Turkmenistan would be uh, doing much better than other other countries in the region. But as we see, that Turkmenistan is not doing well these days. The, the biggest problem for Turkmenistan at the moment is that uh, they don't have the infrastructure. I mean, the power grids were not renovated since the uh, Soviet times. And that's the biggest problem. The outdated equipment, outdated uh, stations, they see accidents and uh, breaking down. People in many regions of, of Turkmenistan, people get a very limited amount of electricity and the, the power of that electricity. I mean, we have the standards uh, 220. It's way below. It's like in countries like the United States where they have 110, mm-hmm. but they have uh, the matching equipment. But in Turkmenistan, when the power of electricity drops mm. to below 150, then you have problems like in your everyday life. As I said, on top of that, we've seen a lot of power outages during the year, hmm. even for several days in a row, people didn't have electricity at their homes, so hmm. it's not doing very well. Uh, at the same time, Afghanistan is increasing export of electricity. That's what I was thinking about, like, you know, yeah. the, when locally they are facing this shortage of electricity in the country, they continue to export electricity to Afghanistan, obviously. I think there was also a discussion with the Uzbek authorities to increase export to Uzbekistan, perhaps Tajikistan. Interesting dynamics there. So the, that's on electricity, Farouk, but gas, I mean, in the shortage of electricity, uh, people uh, most often rely on gas to address certain needs. And Turkmenistan is gas-rich country. How is the gas supply going these days? I mean, it's not yet fully winter, but we expect Turkmenistan to have a cold winter as always. So how is the gas supply is going these days? The gas is also the, the same problem. Infrastructure is outdated. Uh, the pipelines that go to villages and districts, they're outdated. and mm. People don't get gas. As you know, a couple of years ago, Turkmenistan abolished the benefits for uh, free gas and uh, electricity and water for, yeah. for the population. And they started installing the gas measurement uh, mm. equipment and electricity measurement equipment. And even for money, people don't get gas or electricity and, uh, to add on that uh, proper drinking water. Mm, interesting. Um, so energy is obviously a big challenge. Uh, Bruce, I just went through your uh, piece on Ready for Pre-Deliberate from last week, I guess, about the drastic measures that the authorities are taking, including cities going dark, I guess, where you were talking about Kyrgyzstan in the story. As I understand, the electricity shortage is what we see on the surface, but we are also talking about package of problems here, I guess. I mean, earlier, uh, Johnny Vick was trying to hint to, but we are going to talk about that. But before uh, going through all those packages of problems, uh, what about Uzbekistan, the most populous country uh, in Central Asia, and also about Kazakhstan, the richest country in Central Asia? How these things are factored in there? Well, I'll start with Kazakhstan. Um, Just because, like, two weeks ago, uh, they had power outages from the Ekibastus, and those are coal-fired 
thermal power plants that are in the northeast part of the country. You know, they also date back to the Soviet era, but not total failure. I mean, you know, you have to be clear about that. I mean, the whole plant didn't shut down, but there was significant drop in the amount of electricity suddenly they were producing up there. And and the company, Samruk Energo, explained later, they said, well, we, we're, we're repairing some of the, the units at, at Ekibastus 1 and Ekibastus 2, so the power reduction mm. went down. And they admitted that there was other problems with another power plant that they have up there where, where it, something went offline and, and that caused failures. But the, the interesting thing about their explanation about the uh, repairs was that it came after the problem happened. Mm. Uh, you know, usually if you were going to shut down some of your units and or reduce energy, you would tell people that on, you know, in this case, I think it was the 15th of October, you can expect to have uh, reductions in power and possibly temporary outages. But, you know, there was no warning that this was going to happen. It happened first, which mm-hmm. suggests that that it wasn't planned and it might not have been part of repairs mm-hmm. uh, for that. You know, now, now last year, Uzbekistan has been Real cautious about this. For one, President Mirziyoyev already announced that they were they wouldn't export any gas at all this year. Mm. He waited last year until I think late December before he said that after they were in the midst of a crisis. But but so they're already trying to get ahead of this and and he said no gas exports at all. It means a loss and of money for them. But he wants all that gas to go to the domestic market to serve the energy needs of the people during this coming winter. Now that said, this year just after the new year in January, and they also suffered some fa- major failures at a, a couple of their plants and it led to this chain reaction where power was, was reduced at at least a half a dozen plants and it affected because it was connected to the grid to wider grids it affected power supplies to southern kazakhstan and power supplies to afghanistan also yeah. now hopefully they got this patched up but patched up is really the word here because most of this as farouk mentioned a minute ago too almost all these power lines mm-hmm. and most of these power plants mm-hmm. date back to the Soviet era, and some of them go back to the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so while they've been kind of keeping things held together, even though they talk about investing in these plants, they don't seem to have invested sufficient money in modern modernization and the replacement of equipment at the plants, replacement of the transmission power lines. The Asian Development Bank, other people have given them money specifically to do that. But we still end up in a situation where these plants are aging, and they're really unpredictable. You never know when some of these things are going to go offline. And like Mm, I said, in mm, the case of Uzbekistan, it led mm, to a chain reaction that mm, affected a much wider area, mm, not mm, only of Uzbekistan, mm, but of neighboring countries. No, that's that's very interesting what what you hinted, Bruce, like in terms of, you know, these investment going into this sector, but still we do not see improvement. Certainly we are going to talk about this, and this is Johnny Vexeria, and we are going to hear his thoughts on that, why it is what it is. One more point, Bruce, uh, and of course we need to talk about Tajikistan, uh, it's one of the very problematic countries in terms of the energy efficiency there. I mean, they are planning to export electricity to Afghanistan. But in the meantime, I just heard today, today is um, Friday. Today, there was an announcement in Tajikistan in terms of the price hike of uh, gas, petrol, I guess also included uh, electricity. So what's going on with Tajikistan in terms of the uh, energy supplies as we are headed to winter, uh, where they are in terms of the availability of those uh, sources. 
Uh, okay, to separate two things here, the price of, of petroleum, petrol for your tank, actually has been going up, you know, across, I think pretty much across Central Asia. I, I couldn't speak for Turkmenistan so much, but certainly Kyrgyzstan and Johnny Beck will be aware of this, that, that they, the price has gone up for gasoline at the pumps. Yeah. Um, and Tajikistan, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's gone up, you know, uh, I, I even saw that the, one of the stories in, from Azadi today was saying that, you know, people can't even afford to, to fill up their tank with gas to go to funerals yeah. for family members. It's gotten to be that bad mm. you know so so this is another problem of course we know that the price of oil has been going up and central asia is not immune to that they get mm. their oil mainly from russia or kazakhstan so they got that problem um you know it's been enough of a problem that that they've canceled flights at almaty because they don't have enough jet fuel too yeah. uh there's been a few few flights that were canceled because they just and they said that was the reason they just didn't have fuel for the planes now now as far as as home heating and elect and uh, electricity you know they would tajikistan is much more closed mouth and it's hard to get information out of this they must surely be facing the same problems that kyrgyzstan is facing where they did not get enough water in their reservoirs you know now we know that winter is traditionally the time when that you let the water collect in your reservoirs and you're hoping to use that in the spring and summer yeah. and early autumn to, to generate electricity they haven't said yet publicly mm. that they're they're low but then again it's just getting to be the cold part of the year mm-hmm. and and every year they have these kind of problems uh, now they yeah. do have the new thermal power plant that the chinese built in dushanbe you know and and this is another problem too and, and johnny beck would know this also from the thermal power plant in bishkek is mm. that um, when they can't make up the difference through hydropower or imported electricity the go-to source is coal yeah, and uh, so that's why you end up with Bishkek being one of the most Pluted. having some of the worst air pollution in the world, mm-hmm. and Dushan Bay getting up there too. Yeah, uh, is because they have these coal-fired thermal power plants mm-hmm. that they have to turn to. Mm-hmm. And and you know, it wasn't it was only ten or fifteen years ago that almost all these countries were saying we're going to switch mm-hmm. these to to some other form of fuel, gas, mm-hmm. natural gas, if mm-hmm. we can get it, but something else. And then they just gave up. You know, yeah. as of seven, eight years ago, they, they could see that they just couldn't mm. convert over to another mm. source of fuel. And then all of them, mm. including Kazakhstan, not not counting Turkmenistan, mm. who doesn't, they have enough gas reserves. They don't need to burn coal and they don't mm. have that much coal. But everybody else has actually increased coal production in the last 10 yeah. years. The air pollution, of course, a very interesting topic. I mean, in some countries, there are some possible alternatives, like, for example, in Turkmenistan, gas, although Farouk is saying that even gas is short these days. But in Kyrgyzstan, Kyrgyzstan is facing energy crisis, a shortage of energy, electricity, and also short of gas, Janivek. What are, what are the alternatives that Kyrgyzstan is relying to remedy this shortage? And Bruce hinted a coal, and of course, it has its own consequences. Okay, so, I mean, due to this energy crisis and the energy deficit that mm. uh, Kyrgyzstan is severely uh, experiencing, especially this year, what the country is trying to do now, they are exporting more electricity from Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, and uh, even Turkmenistan. Mm. And then, uh, secondly, as Bruce mentioned, so uh, coal production is getting increased in a coal-fired thermal plant which creates, uh, of course, I mean, additional pollution, which is already a severe problem in, in Bishkek, as you may have heard. Yeah. And then, of course, I mean, government is calling population to save energy and uh, even trying to switch off uh, street lights uh, where are not, um, you know, wherever is possible. Yeah. So this yeah. type of uh, extreme measures are being taken. Of course, I mean, Kyrgyzstan is facing these problems because of um, accumulated uh, problems in the power sector. 
as well as you know regional issues like trade and uh, this um, ineffective economic cooperation all those have created uh, this problem that uh, Kyrgyzstan is is getting into this severe crisis now mm-hmm. you know this uh, you hinted about this accumulated problem i guess we need to talk about this maybe just in a, in a second but before that let me take a kind of short pause here we ended up talking too much about energy in the first half of the conversation today there are so many other challenges associated with winter in Central Asia usually, and this is particularly true for this winter. So let's also talk about them a little bit and how the region is coping on this aspect. We will continue the conversation talking about these and many other questions very shortly. First, let me recap the debate that today on the Majlis podcast, we are discussing food and energy security in Central Asia. Joining me in the discussion are Janibek Omorov, international energy economist, Farouk Yusupi, the director of Free Free the Liberties Turkmen Service, locally known as Azatlik, Bruce Panier, the author of Free Free the Liberties Central Asia blog, Kishlok Awazi. I'm Mohamed Tahir, Free Free the Liberties media manager and host of the Majlis here in Washington, D.C. And we are discussing the food and energy shortages in Central Asia ahead of winter. So food shortages, uh, maybe b- before food shortages, Janibek, just to continue with you, uh, as I said earlier, you hinted a couple of times in terms of the why Kyrgyzstan is facing in the energy sector alone what it is facing today. So in terms of the reasons, in terms of why and what is, can you briefly take us through, talk us through what is that Kyrgyzstan is getting wrong about this? I mean, earlier we were talking about this with Bruce Panier, and as you will know better than both of us, there has been money made available uh, to improve energy sector in Kyrgyzstan. Some of them came from Asian development banks, some are from other international financial institutions. Why it is getting worse every year? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's true. I mean, um, uh, despite that Kyrgyzstan has a great potential of producing low-cost uh, hydroelectricity and, uh, you know, trading in the region, which would be beneficial for all countries of Central Asia, but uh, which has not been happening, unfortunately, in the past. I mean, for various reasons. First of all, of course, I mean, a lack of efficient cooperation in the region and, as I said, trade barriers, despite that the region has uh, economic and the custom unions. So you can see not only electricity, Trade, but the uh, trade of goods and the services are facing a lot of barriers. If you look at border between Kyrgyzstan and the Kazakhstan, you can see frequently long, long lines of tracks just stuck there because of Kazakhstan not allowing them pass smoothly. So this all created economic disadvantage and the lack of income for power companies and uh, for population who cannot afford higher tariffs. So what has happened uh, since then, of course, I mean, Kyrgyzstan tariff is very low because of the social issues and the tariff issues has become very social and politicized there. Of course, I mean, for economic development, you would set up tariffs based on the economic efficiency and the independent regulator. You know, I know the way you are describing this situation perfectly makes sense. But for us to understand, I mean, all this money that goes into improving energy sector, all this money that Kyrgyzstan gets from international institutions to improve the energy sector, but the energy sector is going downward. Why is that? I mean, I understand the problem with the border and I understand the intergovernmental cooperation problem within the region, but some funds made available 
available for Kyrgyzstan to improve energy sector. And it is not improving, it's going downward. Why is that? It is, the, 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 of course, I mean, there has been a lot of loan uh, Kyrgyzstan is getting from external financing sources. Uh, you're absolutely right, but uh, it is not sufficient. Of course, the energy companies has to repay all these loans and interest rates. But uh, they are facing these financial issues because of the low tariffs and the low revenues. So they cannot get uh, sufficient uh, financing. Mm. That's uh, one of the major problems for the power sector and the, for the government who is trying to help uh, out with the, with the crisis. Mm. Mm. And of course, I mean, economic this situation and all these uh, trade issues are creating social problems that the uh, population cannot afford higher tariffs. Secondly, this uh, low tariff is creating another problem, so it is not attracting private sector. So for countries like Kyrgyzstan, the most driver would be private sector, because we have a lot of investment, because energy sector requires very high level of uh, investment, so mm-hmm. government can, never can do this. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the sector is not attractive to private sector because of low tariffs and um, investment returns are low. Okay. And the, of course, another problem is creating so renewable energy is not being developed as well. Mm-hmm. At the moment, less than 1% of Kyrgyzstan energy product, I mean, not considering the, the big dams, only less than 1% is renewable energy. Mm-hmm. So these types of uh, things are creating the crisis which is uh, getting deep and deep every year. Okay, okay. Bruce, uh, you have been uh, looking into this uh, sector in Kyrgyzstan in your recent writings. Uh, if there's anything you would like to add in addition to what Johnny Beck has said, please feel free. And what I understand Johnny Beck telling us is financial sustainability is a, a big question there in Kyrgyzstan in terms of the, uh, you know, this energy sector. But in, in Kazakhstan, you said earlier, they are also facing electricity shortages. And they have no problem with finance, Bruce. I mean, Kazakhstan is a rich country. Then why Kazakhstan is facing this issue? Yeah, well, see, this this is a really good question, because like you said, it's not that they're short of funds. They don't seem to have allocated sufficient money to, you know, overhauling and modernizing some of these plants. Like I said, you know, Ekibastuz is the one that I always come back to because it's one of the oldest ones they got. But, you know, that's a Soviet-era plant. It's a coal-fired plant. You know, and and Kazakhstan could easily invest a couple hundred million dollars in that and and modernize it. And and also at the same time, you know, do some some more filtering and, and trapping of coal emissions so that the air would be a little bit cleaner too. But for some reason or another, that doesn't seem to have happened or, or certainly not to the degree that it should have happened you know and, and I, I was at a presentation a couple of years ago that the asian development bank did about that too kazakhstan's transmission power lines right and, and again this is a fairly well-to-do country by central asian standards it's it's the richest country as you mentioned sometimes the loss of electricity on the transmission lines can, can be 15 percent or more which is which is obscene you know i mean it's really bad people consider you know that johnny beck would know this better than me but if electricity def- fuses or if your your shedding of electricity is under 10% as it moves across the country along these power lines, then that's more or less acceptable. But you hope that 100% of your electricity would go from the power plant to the homes that it's supposed to go to. That never happens. But when you have over 10%, and it's, like I said, in ca- some cases in Kazakhstan, it's 15%, um, you know, that that is just lost electricity. You know, it just diffuses from the power lines as it's moving from the power station to to its destination, homes, businesses, whatever. And then they haven't replaced those either. 
uh, you know, and that, why, this why is something is, that the CARIC program, that, uh, you know, the Central Asia Regional Economic Program, gave specifically gave money to all these countries no, but I'm, uh, to that, l- that, put new power transmission lines that, in. That puzzles me, Bruce. Why is that? Why this reluctancy there in terms of even spending money which is available? Why they don't do that? And every year they keep facing this energy shortages when the winter comes. You know that's that's a good question, and since obviously internal investigations haven't uncovered everything, anything, you know, and that there's no public stated reason, you'd, you'd have to assume that that corruption has siphoned off a lot of this money. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it does not make sense. Why, you know, in some some countries' cases, hundreds of millions of dollars have gone into these kind of projects, and yet still, we, you know, not only are we facing the same problems, but as as you mentioned in the case of Kyrgyzstan, and it's not just Kyrgyzstan. Some sometimes problems, some of these problems have actually gotten worse. You know, but but I, I do want to agree with Johnny Beck about tariffs and, and what the cost of utilities being the root of all these problems, because, you know, the government's part of an understanding and Turkmenistan's not exempt from this either, remembering that they used to distribute gas for free. And why? Because this is a way of keeping your population content to a certain degree. Mm. Uh, they might live poorly, but but they get this benefit and, and governments are real reluctant uh, in Kyrgyzstan and and absolutely in Tajikistan to raise the rates the consumer pays for electricity because they're afraid it'll lead to unrest. The state energy company of Tajikistan, Barki Tajik, is is constantly in debt because they don't get people don't don't pay very much for their electricity and some and they're not paying on time. Uh, and the government continually writes off that those debts. I mean, they run into the tens of millions of dollars all the time. And when the when the state energy company can't pay, the Tajik government eventually says, okay. Forget it. Well, you know, forget it. As Johnny Beck said, that that's ridiculous because you can't improve your domestic power system unless you're getting money back from the consumer. But the money they spend, they get not even half of that comes back from payments from consumers. You know, so it's it's just a impossible cycle to get out of. Unfortunately, you know, they're afraid the governments are afraid they'll be overthrown if they raise the rate to a point where they can actually make it a cost effective to provide electricity to the population and maintain the systems. You know, and in the meantime, when they won't raise the electricity, it just means that the systems continue to deteriorate. So yeah, just to add to what Bruce said, if hmm. possible, uh, uh, Mohammed. So the 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 pricing of electricity in Kyrgyzstan is they are selling you know most of the electricity under one U.S. cent per kilowatt hour. Whereas you know in other Central Asian or CIS countries, the average price of electricity around five cents per kilowatt hour. And in South Asia, where now Kyrgyzstan is trying to export this, uh, of course, retail price is around 8%. In the U.S., in 10 cents. And uh, in Europe, uh, 30 cents. So you can imagine how cheaply the, the electricity is charged in Kyrgyzstan due to economic and the social issues. And of course, another problem is the export prices. So, of course, I mean, uh, Bruce also mentioned about this corruption and the other issues that are influencing this uh, economic trade and the prosperity mm. of the region. Mm. So, Kyrgyzstan electricity exports, they kept the price for long, many, many years, one cent per kilowatt hour, which is a very low price compared to, you know, worldwide, even to the region. And now the price has come up to around 2.4 US cents per kilowatt hour. Because Kyrgyzstan now is trying to export electricity for, I mean, normal full price to the South Asia at price over five cents per kilowatt hour. Mm-hmm. Now the Kazakhstan is raising slowly to 2.4 US cents per kilowatt hour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where normal situation, normal economic cooperation mm-hmm. situation, Kazakhstan 
and Uzbekistan would be interested to buy more electricity from Kyrgyzstan, which is much cleaner, which is hydro-based, mm. whereas in Kazakhstan mostly is coal-based and mm-hmm. in Uzbekistan gas-based mm-hmm. electricity. Mm-hmm. And then encourage uh, development of hydro and the clean energy in Kyrgyzstan, right, right. which is unfortunately is not happening. Mm-hmm. That's why it's suffering mm-hmm. not only the Kyrgyz economy, but the whole region and not getting advantage of the situation. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, it's going to be a long conversation than I expected. I mean, it's just the problem is as such that there is no easy way out of this situation. But also, this is not a solution to keep this uh, problem growing every year, accelerating every year. In, in some point, somebody has to take a hard look into this. So I don't know who will do that and uh, what kind of consequences that will generate. We will, we will see. But uh, we spoke about the tariffs being part of the problem here. Okay, understand in terms of electricity, but we are also facing food shortages. Like we have seen price hikes going up recently. I have seen these kind of reportings coming out from the Turkmen service, from your service. Tell us about some of those issues. Yeah, uh, according to what uh, the, the Turkmen are telling us, the, the population is telling us the situation is very serious. Hmm. They call it a famine. They compare it with the situation that was in Turkmenistan in early 1990s after the country became independent and uh, people had difficult times. But this time they say it's even worse. And the problem with the Turkmenistan's shortages has several main uh, uh, reasons. One is that Turkmenistan had this uh, and still has uh, this system of uh, uh, state stores where Turkmen authorities claim that they provide subsidized food, but um, the shortage of subsidized food is, is severe. They cannot at the moment uh, provide the population with the, those subsidized food because the Turkmen economy is in deep crisis. And on the other hand, people cannot afford buying food in the markets from uh, the private sellers. Because the prices, as you already mentioned, they go high. The reason for that is that Turkmenistan has uh, official <laughs> dollar rate and uh, unofficial dollar rate, and the difference between them is seven, eight times. And those private sellers import food staples on uh, unofficial black black market trade. And people in Turkmenistan, mo- most of uh, whom are employed by state organizations, they get sa- their salaries accounted in official rate. That's why they can only afford buying subsidized food. And the variety of the subsidized food is very limited, too. It's like chicken thighs, uh, eggs, flour, bread. We see uh, very long, long food queues for those for those subsidized food. Mm. And uh, authorities go to extend it when they sell those subsidized foods during the night time. Early in the morning at uh, 4.30 or 5.30, people gather in front of the state stores and fight with each other to buy their share of food. And that's not even enough for the family of five. They Mm. get just one kilo of uh, chicken thigh, ten eggs, two kilo of flour, and uh, they can do that once in ten days or once in two weeks. Mm. So Mm. that's that's one problem. Another problem is the, the unemployment. People don't have money. Even those who have money, they make very little, very little money, so that they cannot 
go freely go to a market or to a private store to buy food there. And also because of pandemic and because of the nature of the Turkmen uh, government, they closed the, the borders. Even the import of the food by private vendors uh, was limited, very much limited uh, over the past year. So there is a big picture of, uh, of a big problem uh, that's mm. taking place. Yeah, package of problems, as I said earlier. Brusa, Tajikistan comes to my mind here is also Uzbekistan, how they are tackling, I mean, uh, with the food shortages or other shortages that might be associated with winter usually in, in Central Asia. How are they in those countries and how they are coping with it? Well, I haven't heard too much out of Uzbekistan, but that's kind of unfair because they just held a presidential election and there's no way in the world they would let food prices go up right before a presidential election. That didn't happen anywhere in Central Asia. We'll see what happens in the coming weeks. But, you know, certainly Tajikistan and even Kazakhstan, uh, you know, and this is all connected with the drought, of mm-hmm. course. The food prices have gone, were already going way up during the summer, which mm-hmm. is usually the time of plenty, right? That's harvest time. That's when everyone's got stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was already clear that the crops were harvested was far far smaller than it usually is and so prices went up to deal with that but you know again at least that was the time when they were harvesting stuff now you can imagine as as the months go on that this is going to be even worse there was places you know in kazakhstan for instance where the price for basic foods like carrots mm. uh, or potatoes or something in the western part which is dry and mm. mostly mm. desert or something it went up to seven times the normal price mm. that was in the summer when when they could at least count on more food coming or food was actually mm. starting to be produced locally or at least domestically mm. in kazakhstan mm. so you think about what it's going to look like in late december throughout january and, yeah. and into february it is surely going to be really hard for most people to try to try to get enough money to be able to pay for all this stuff and you know we've seen this already in Tajikistan too prices are going up people are having a hard time trying to pay for it the governments try to just like they do in Turkmenistan try to tell people there's a, a fixed limit on what you can charge but when you're at the bazaar you know you can't check every bazaar and people are going to sell for what they can and in some some cases they might have to paid an exorbitant amount to get that food to bring it to the bazaar. So to break even on this, they're going to have to sell it for a high price. And if they want to get a little profit, then it's an extremely high price. And, and people are having a hard time coming up with that kind of money. Uh, how's uh, in Kyrgyzstan, Johnny Beckman? We understand uh, with the the problem with the electricity shortages, were, you know, as, as partly you mentioned, has to do with the tariffs and other things. But I mean, these food shortages or other sh- shortages that the, our colleagues were talking about has nothing to do with tariff anymore. But it is short in rest of the region. How's this in Kyrgyzstan? Kyrgyzstan, uh, obviously, I mean, experiencing the price hikes because of inflation is going up as uh, in the region. I mean, uh, not only for electricity tariff issues. And of course, I mean, there was some um, cases of uh, food shortage similar what uh, Bruce was describing. And uh, of course, I mean, Kyrgyzstan is uh, producing sufficient for its uh, domestic supply and uh, exporting a lot to Russia. But still, I mean, due to COVID uh, pandemic issues, so experienced these economic uh, problems, and uh, it caused some uh, food shortages as well. Bruce, how Tajikistan is coping with this this year? I mean, as we say, uh, Tajikistan also very much remittance-dependent country, and remittances have not been coming into Tajikistan this year as it used to in the in the pre-pandemic era. And we can also add into the problem the lack of resources, that affordability of people to buy stuff. So you have that additional problem speaking at least for this year. 
So how's situation with food and other shortages in Tajikistan? You know, the one thing I would say about remittances is they were much worse last year. Certainly compared to 2020, mm. the remittances so far in 2021 are higher. So that is at least something to get, provide mm. some hope mm. for, for people. Like I said, they're in a similar situation as Kyrgyzstan, although we don't get as much information about Tajikistan. Mm. Certainly they have drought. There's drought in Afghanistan, there's drought in Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan's in between. It, you don't have to be a math genius to figure mm. out that they're, they're in hard shape. You know, we know that the price, as we mentioned earlier, the price for petrol has gone up, uh, you know, and that, that carries over. Tractors, yeah. things like that have to run on that. So they had a hot, dry mm. summer. It's, it's reflected in the prices at the mm. market. And it's only the start because, like I said, we just mm. got the harvest mm. in, you know, in the last six, eight weeks or something. Everything's been coming in, you know. Mm. So while it's obvious there's less, it's not as obvious now as it will be in eight or ten weeks from now how much less that is. Uh, you know, the prices have gone up, but not as much as they're going to uh, once people st start buying all this stuff. And, and, you know, and in the case of Tajikistan, Rahman, President Rahman hasn't said it this year, but he's for 15 years now, almost every winter, he says he wants everyone to store up enough food to last them, in some cases for two years. But certainly, you know, he's, he's done this often enough that people probably are thinking about this, uh, you know, that to buy everything you can right now, which of course creates shortages later, but buy everything you can now Put it in your basement, mm. whatever, you know, so that you're ready to get through the whole mm. winter. Mm. Okay, I, I think we need to wrap up the conversations. Uh, you ended your comments speaking of uh, winter. So what kind of winter are we are we anticipating to see uh, in the face of all these challenges, problems? Johnny Beck, let's start with you and then uh, short comments from other uh, participants today. And with that, we will end the conversation. I mean, yes, Kyrgyzstan obviously is watching um, and expecting uh, what, what's going to happen in terms of weather condition and winter time. As you know, that the winter time is quite cold in the country, and uh, there is consumption of electricity and the energy goes up almost by three times compared to summertime. So, and then uh, facing this huge energy de deficit this year due to all these issues, including the low hydrology cycle because of heavy dependence on uh, hydro production of uh, electricity. So there's going to be huge deficit of electricity because of a low level of water collection in the major uh, reservoir of the country, Toktogul Reservoir. And then, uh, of course, I mean, uh, Kyrgyzstan is already has taken some extreme steps to uh, import electricity, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, increase uh, electricity production. It, it strongly depends how winter is going to be cold. Okay. Bruce and Farouk, very short comments from you. With that, we will conclude the conversation. So what kind of winter are you expecting in terms of the challenges? Yeah, just today we spoke with the specialists who deal with the heating systems mm. in Ashgabat. Mm. They say that it's going to be very problematic for the population due to a breaking, failing uh, infrastructure, the, the pipes, the heating pipes that come to, to the homes of people. And on top of that, in Turkmenistan too, they're expecting that the, uh, the prices for electricity will double according to, to the sources that are in the energy energy ministry in Turkmenistan. Mm. They say it's going to be very difficult, not only in the rural Turkmenistan, but also in mm. Ashgabat in, mm. and mm. other uh, okay. other major towns. Okay, Bruce. Well, considering the food problems and energy problems that are going on, if it's a mild winter, it'll be bad. Mm. Uh, if they get a sustained or sustained period or periods of cold weather where, you know, mm -hmm. it goes down minus 10, minus 20, 25 or something like that and go and stays for eight, 10 days at a time or mm -hmm. something like that, it'll be absolutely horrible. 
it'll it'll overload a lot of the power plants. The heating will be an issue. Electricity will be an issue. Food is is almost surely going to be an issue. But at least if it's warmer, you can kind of deal with that a little bit better than if you're, you know, if it's minus 20 and you're hungry, that's really bad. Uh, leads to all kinds of health problems and other issues too. So um, yeah, that's short answer. That's it. Okay. With this, uh, unfortunately, we have to conclude the conversation. Thank you very much, Bruce Panier, the author of the Ready for Free Liberty Central Asia Blog, Kishlok Owazi, Janivek Omorov, International uh, Energy Economist, and Farouk Yusufi, the Director of Ready for Free Liberty's Turkmen Service. Thank you very much, colleagues, for joining us today. And this is from me, Mohammed Tahir, host of the Majlis, Ready for Free Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. Until next week, bye bye.